Welcome to Psyched for Peds, the child mental health podcast for pediatric clinicians, helping you help kids. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Faluco, child psychiatrist and mom. Today on Psyched for Peds, we are very excited to have with us Dr. Jeff Strawn. He is a fantastic child and adolescent psychiatrist and a star psychopharmacologist. He's a professor of psychiatry and behavioral neuroscience at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine, where he directs the Anxiety Disorders Research Programs and conducts clinical trials and neuroimaging studies in patients with anxiety and related disorders. He is an internationally recognized expert in the field of child and adolescent anxiety. And I'm really excited to listen to his ideas about ADHD and anxiety and how can we help understand them better and how can we treat the kids who suffer from both. So first off, welcome to the pod, Dr. Jeff Strawn. Thanks so much. It is great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. So let's start and talk generally about ADHD and anxiety. We know that the two illnesses are commonly comorbid, that kids who have one will often develop the other. Can you tell us a little bit about how you think through that? Absolutely. And oftentimes we're focused in the pediatric primary care setting on ADHD and ADHD screening, but ADHD symptoms really overlap with many anxiety symptoms. And similarly, anxiety symptoms overlap with ADHD. We also know from many of the studies that we have, like the multimodal treatment of ADHD study, that about 30% of kids with ADHD will actually have an anxiety disorder. But I think really you touched on something even more important in that beyond this overlap and shared risk factors and and comorbidity, these symptoms of ADHD and symptoms of anxiety reverberate with one another. So when we think about that classic child with ADHD that has inattention and hyperactivity, impulsivity, all of the symptoms of ADHD they're more likely to have those maladaptive behaviors in school settings and social settings that tends to lead to a situation in which they may experience more criticism or humiliation or just other negative events, which I think for many of these kids, unfortunately, then results in feelings of shame and helplessness. They may feel inadequate. And as a result of that, they then become more fearful of making mistakes and of being criticized. And I think that really sets the stage for interpersonal sensitivity that we see that then produces these cognitive distortions that are really the hallmark of anxiety. And then, of course, from there, we know where we go. We see increasing avoidance. We see withdrawal. And we also see more of that increased attention to one's thoughts and this bias towards, I'm going to do something wrong. I'm going to mess something up. I'm not good enough. Those other things that we then think of as more anxiety symptoms here clearly coming from, or at least worsened by the underlying ADHD. So it really becomes kind of a a feed forward cycle, if you will. That was so beautifully put. One of the things that we cannot underestimate is the social impact of ADHD, just exactly as you're describing. So a child who has trouble keeping their hands to themselves or is always blurting out answers or maybe getting in trouble in school. Yeah, the other kids notice and they think this kid's a little different. 
and it's very easy to get excluded or to get made fun of or to have trouble kind of socially fitting in because of some of the symptoms of ADHD. And Absolutely. then as you put it, you internalize, well, wait a minute, why are kids not including me in things? What's wrong with me? And then it causes more self-doubt. The longer the child goes, having ADHD symptoms that are causing problems in school and maybe with friends, the more their self-esteem is getting impacted. So if there's something we could do to try to help and support them, then... Absolutely. And I I think those social impacts and just broader educational impacts, you know, when we see that child that's struggling in school, whether it be educationally or socially or both because of the untreated ADHD, we see secondary symptoms as well, right? So we see that child becoming demoralized, no longer liking school, potentially even starting to avoid some activities at school, perhaps it's group work, even evolving into school avoidance or school refusal. So then thinking proactively about what we can do to treat ADHD, let's say you've got a kid in your office, they have a family history of anxiety, one of the parents has anxiety, and the child's presenting with symptoms of ADHD meets criteria for ADHD. Is there a go-to stimulant that you would use for a child with ADHD and a positive family history of anxiety to try to minimize the likelihood of worsening anxiety? So I'm going to take a step back from that question. Before we think about the medication, we have to really make sure that we've gotten the diagnosis right. In looking at the child that you just described, I, I think the most important thing, you've set up the scenario where we have some genetic loading, so a family history of anxiety, but we may or may not have the anxiety symptoms. And so one of the things really that the clinician treating the, the child you described has to do is to really smoke out what's primary. Are there anxiety symptoms? Are those anxiety symptoms related to ADHD or is this anxiety that's causing inattention? And it's so critical to figure out if those symptoms that are presenting in the office with that child are driven primarily by anxiety or if they're driven by ADHD. And oftentimes, because we do a much better job of screening for ADHD than we do for anxiety, I think in the primary pediatric care setting, we may be biased towards seeing those symptoms as related to the ADHD. When you're talking about smoking out what is the primary and somebody who has ADHD and some anxiety symptoms, just like we collect Vanderbilt's or Connors scales to assess for ADHD, would you also recommend that pediatric clinicians or in primary care that they routinely check some sort of anxiety screener along with that? I would, but I, I do think it's helpful just in terms of kind of asking the the question and I used to use the scared. It's nice. It's uh, 41 items. I find it somewhat burdensome to score, but it it does provide a really nice inventory of generalized separation, social anxiety disorder symptoms, as well as avoidance uh, and other associated symptoms. But in in more recent years, I've actually shifted to the scared five. So it's something that is a lot easier to score. Um, it's, as the name implies, made up of five items, five items. as opposed to 41. Uh, and so it's it's a little bit faster as well. You know, I'm a huge fan of the scared. The, and I recognize 41 items is so long. So I like the idea of pairing, you know, your Vanderbilt or your Connors with the scared five. And then, of course, knowing that screening tools are not diagnostic, it just gives you a starting off point. I'm so glad you brought this up. 
When I do use a screening tool, it's important to mention that it's just really paired with my clinical interview. When we often ask about anxiety, we say things like, do you worry? Which again, these are patients that really want to please us and they're concerned in terms of how we're perceiving them. And so I like to flip that question. So the way that I often ask it is, how good are you at worrying? And so once they say, you know, I'm pretty good at worrying, I can then really try to flesh out, well, is this something that is appropriate? Because maybe they have a learning weakness and they're really worried about reading and reading comprehension and how they're doing in language arts, in which case it's, it's expected and proportional to that context versus is this the anxiety that is typical of a generalized anxiety disorder, a social or separation anxiety disorder? What an excellent clinical pearl on assessing anxiety in kids. So I just want to repeat this. You said in, you know, how you ask kids about anxiety is you ask them, how good are you at worrying? Right. Um, so it flips, it turns it around. So they're like, I mean, I'm really good at worrying. Right, right. <laughs> and then the other thing that I also talk about, and, and this is something that I borrowed from uh, our good friend, Dr. John Walkup is, you know, when I'm thinking about anxiety, I, I think about two things. So we know that anxiety is normal. It has a role. It's important. It motivates us. One of the things that's really hard for us sometimes is looking at something that's a normal emotion, but something that also overlaps with pathology. And so I, I like Walkup's approach to this. He thinks about anxiety in terms of two criteria. Is it proportional and is it expected? And for me, when I'm going through that situation that the patient's describing where there's some anxiety, I'm thinking with them often out loud and trying to really measure this with them. Is it proportional and is it expected? Excellent. So then, you know, just like with your example of the child who has difficulty reading and they're spending all night working on their little book reports, if they're worried only about that or specifically about that in the context of stress in that area, that makes sense. And those are the kids that, you know, again, are, are a little bit challenging because you ask and, you know, we may have a tendency to dismiss that in terms of, yeah, he worries a little bit about reading or he worries a little bit about school performance. Um, but one of the things that I like to really do in those situations to try to help me distinguish between what is an anxiety disorder versus perhaps just a, a trait um, is I'll say, but what would happen if, what would happen if, and as they present the next step in the scenario, I'm essentially asking what would happen. And oftentimes in those situations, I'll get the, I'm worried about my school performance because this will affect what classes I get into in high school, and that'll determine what college I get into, and that'll determine what I end up doing as a career and as a job. And that's really important because I know that I have a family history of cardiac disease, and I know that if I don't get good insurance in terms of this job, then I'm more at risk of adverse medical outcomes and, and so forth. And you know, wow. we stop and say, wow, this came from a sixth grade book report. Mm -hmm. um, what would happen if I like that? So not just stopping it. Okay. So we're worried about reading and that makes sense because it's expected, but then taking it a step farther and asking, so what happens if you fail language arts or what happens if you get a C in language arts? What does that mean? Right. And, you know, and if the answer is, oh, I guess I have to do summer school, like that would be a bummer. W would that be okay? Or 
is it this catastrophic series of unfortunate events that end up 20 years down the road? Exactly. Exactly. Well, we started this conversation with the question of what would be your favorite med for somebody with ADHD and anxiety. And you'll notice that your approach and your response to that was such a great reminder for us to really think first in terms of our clinical diagnosis and making sure we're not missing potential anxiety in somebody who presents with symptoms of ADHD. And reminding us that even among kids who have a clear-cut diagnosis of ADHD, that 30% of them will also have a comorbid anxiety disorder. And you've also shared some really great clinical pearls with us. One, when you're assessing somebody for ADHD with a Connors or a Vanderbilt, consider pairing the SCARED 5, which is the brief version of the SCARED 41 item, to also screen for anxiety. Second pearl, if you get a positive screen for anxiety, remember that it's not diagnostic and think about asking the following clinical questions as a follow-up. First of all, how good are you at worrying? And then when you're talking about what they're worrying about, ask them what would happen if the thing that they're worried about comes true. And finally, when we try to distinguish between an anxiety disorder versus just an anxiety trait, ask yourself the question, is it reasonable or expected that the child is worrying about something and Likewise, is their worry proportional to the stress that they're experiencing, or does it seem out of proportion? Great. So we will continue part two of this conversation about ADHD and anxiety next week and talk specifically about medication options for treating ADHD and anxiety. Hope you'll join us. As always, check out our website, Psyched the Number Four Peds, if you want a link to the Scared Five or any other resources we talked about. And please, if you have not already, Click follow or subscribe on your Apple Podcasts app for the show or Google Play or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks for joining. See you next time. 